On this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, we talk with Eric Eshelman, who is the director of golf at the Country Club of Birmingham, which is one of the leading clubs in the South, um, 36 holes to Donald Ross courses. Um, and uh, Eric has been there for about 20 years. Um, I think his first position there was director of instruction, but the last 16 years or so, he has been director of golf. Um, he is also someone who has received um, national recognition, um, in particular, winning the 2019 PGA Professional of the Year Award, which is the highest award that the PGA bestows on club professionals, and um, has been active in his section, which is the um, Alabama Northwest Florida section of the PGA, been Teacher of the Year for that section multiple times, um, and um, is someone who, uh, interestingly, um, has been mentioned to me several times by some of his colleagues um, as someone that would be great to talk to. I mean, as people who listen to this podcast know, we've had a number of club professionals at leading clubs on um, this podcast, um, people like Scott Nye from Marion, Larry Dornish from Muirfield Village, Brendan Walsh from the Country Club, Jeff Kitty from Ronamink, and, and others, and... Um, uh, what I thought was interesting is um, more than once Eric's name has come up um, and folks have said, oh, he's the best. You got to talk to him. He'd, he'd be great for your podcast. And uh, we were finally able to arrange it. And all I can say is they were spot on, um, uh, as I think you'll um, get the sense when you listen to Eric. Um, he's just a wonderful guy. Um, just great enthusiasm for the game and has done a phenomenal job at the Country Club of Birmingham, um, in particular the junior program, which is clearly one of his passions. We'll talk, we talk about at length, um, which is he's just built into a juggernaut at the Country Club of Birmingham. But um, just um, he does it all, he's still, still an active teacher. Um, active in the section um, and and properly has gotten the national recognition that that he deserves um, and uh, I really enjoyed this conversation with him and um, as I say I think as you listen to this it'll come across that uh, he's he's a great guy um, so I'm not surprised that so many of his colleagues um, who I've uh, spoken to on this podcast speak so glowingly of him so up next Eric Eshelman, um, Director of Golf at the Country Club of, Bur of Birmingham, here on Larry the Golf Guy. Well, welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy. And it is my great honor today to have with us uh, for a chat, Eric Eshelman from the Country Club of Birmingham. Um, Eric is uh, a, a well-known, nationally uh, known club uh, director of golf. Um, he's been at Country Club of Birmingham for a while. Um, PGA Professional of the Year in 2019, Teacher of the Year in his section multiple times. Um, and Eric, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today. Thank you so much for making the time. I appreciate you reaching out and look forward to having a chat with you. Absolutely. So let's just maybe get into things a little bit and give folks who are listening some of your background and, and how you kind of got into the game and stuff. Um, 
So as I understand it, uh, you kind of you grew up in Port Washington, Wisconsin. And is that kind of where you first took up the game and how did you get started in it? Yeah, so we lived in Port Washington, Wisconsin until I was about my pair, my family and brothers lived there for almost 40 years. Um, so for a long time. But then at the age of 10, at about eight, we decided as a family to start taking lessons at Port Washington Country Club. And then at, at either nine, basically the summer when I was nine years old, we moved to Prescott, Arizona. So that's where I really feel like some of my rearing days were. And uh, we luckily moved onto the eighth hole of Antelope Hills Golf Course there oh, in wow. Prescott, Arizona. And that was, if you know, if anything has established golf in my life, it starts right there is, is living on that eighth hole. So that's how we got going. And it was just my recreation. So that was a recreation and competitiveness and the whole bit. But it all started there in Prescott. Well, that's cool. I would have loved to have lived on a golf course. You know, it's my childhood, but um, that that's that's terrific. So, so let's talk about your time in Arizona. So you mentioned you started playing competitively. So were you playing junior golf? You know, high school golf, all the above. Kind of how how was that like uh, at that point in your life? Yeah, Wisconsin. You know, it was it was a cooler climate, and golf was just something you kind of did for fun, et cetera. So I got out to Arizona and. The one downside I was going to tell you about living on the eighth hole is anytime I three putted that green in a tournament, my dad always thought, well, now how can you three putt that hole? You're always out there. So <laughs> there's one downside about living on a golf course is you got to play that hole always very well. But uh, then, you know, I'm then I'm 10. I'll never forget it. And we're playing the Arizona Junior Tour, um, the section events. This And a uh, little hub goyer from scottsdale came up and we're playing a nine hole deal at antelope hills and there were you know several kids in the event and we got to the 15th hole we were on the back nine it was a par three over the lake and i knocked it in the lake and then knocked it on the over the lake and into a bunker and i made a million on the hole type thing and hub shot 39 that day wow. and i shot like you know 56 or something and that was my first realization that golf is different out here in Arizona than I was experiencing <laughs> in Wisconsin. And then fast forward and ironically, so yes, that was a big motivator for me. I said, I I, I got to get better because I'm never going to let that happen to me again. Right. And, um, you know, crazy enough as seniors in high school, I won the club championship or the state high school championship with hub in that field and all that good stuff. So, wow. um, I just kept playing, playing, playing. We only had four or five kids in what, if you could even call it a junior program, but Tim Gray was a great golf professional and Mac McCarley took us under their wings. We're always good to us, but really where I would play a bunch is there were homes out there and a lot of retirees and they all had their own private cart. So my parents would tease is I was like their play groups or they were like my play group, but we would play 18 holes, eat lunch, play 18 holes. I'd come home for dinner and then, you know, there after dinner, here came those fleet of private cards pulling out for an emergency nine. And these gentlemen were, you know, they were 65 years old at the youngest. Wow. And that's who I grew up playing with. And they were all, they were pretty good players, which made it helpful. And we'd play a $10 skins game. That was it. But those who I really kind of was nurtured under is playing golf with those, those great gentlemen, those great retirees that lived in Prescott. That's awesome. That's terrific. Um, and quite a few winning the state high school championship. Arizona, I'm sure, you know, golf wise, given the climate is very competitive. So 
So now you're sort of in high school, you win that as a senior and you're looking at schools to go to for college. Um, and, um, uh, you were, as I understand you, I mean, you ended end up going to Nebraska, but, um, not surprisingly being in Arizona, ASU, Arizona state university was in the picture. And, um, I, uh, sounds like, um, a notable player may have influenced, uh, where you were going to play. Maybe you could share that with us. Yeah. It probably shows my true intelligence that my last two choices were Arizona State and Nebraska, and I ended up being a Cornhusker instead of a Sun Devil. But yes, Mickelson was coming on the team that next year, and I had a couple other players from my hometown in Prescott. If you won the state high school championship, ASU or U of A kind of had to look at you, right, or give sure. you an opportunity. Sure. And, Steve, Coach Loy at Arizona State, who's Mickelson's longtime agent, yeah. you know, brought me down and I had a spot, but there was a tendency that if you didn't really shine that first semester, you'd get shipped over to Scottsdale Community for a year and a half or two and then work on your game and then make it back. Well, I knew a couple of kids that never made it back from Scottsdale Community, and I probably <laughs> would have been one of those. That wasn't quite, that was a little too big a pond for me. So I went as what I thought of to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond at the university of Nebraska and gave up a little weather, but gained, uh, gained the ability to play and play on a great team with wonderful guys on just, they're some of my lifelong friends to this day. And, you know, they still are a powerhouse athletic program. Yes. And, for um, sure. e even those days we had, you know, not the, best climate at times for weather, but we had huge travel budgets. So we traveled really, really well and went to great courses and great tournaments and we would go out and find the weather. So my experience on the Nebraska golf team, just another place that set my life and my start in golf. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And as I remember reading, I mean, I think one of your um, and it may have only been, he may have been a senior when you were a freshman, one of your um, teammates was someone who uh, to this day is a, a, a notable teacher, um, uh, James Seekman, right? <laughs> yeah, James was certainly the BMOC. He was the big man on campus. He was tall, good looking, could strike a one iron like nobody's business. He was just terrific. <laughs> so he's always been, he was always nice to me as the incoming freshman, um, you know, with kind of starry eyed freshman. He was always great to me. And to this day, we've remained friends and Jim's just one of those really inspirational guys that's made it very, very high in our profession, but has never lost his roots and has stayed very grounded and just a, a wonderful guy and an incredible teacher, but even better guy. That's wonderful to hear. And that that's the impression I've had. I've never met him, but from um, having watched his stuff, but uh, that's terrific. So, so you're, you're a Cornhusker, you're playing college golf, um, obviously, you know, really good player. So talk to me like, how were you thinking at that point in your career in golf? Were you thinking, gee, this is something I want to make as a profession? And if so, you know, were you thinking, boy, I want to give it a shot to see if I can do it as a player or go another route? I know you, after college, you end up going to the Grand Cypress Resort outside Orlando, I think is your first, um, you know, job after college. But how were you thinking about your career at that point? And, and, and um, I think that would be interesting to folks. Yeah, you know what, I think every Division One player goes into college with the hopes, dreams and plans to play on the PGA Tour. It's just how it goes is you're on, you've made it, you're good enough. You, you know, you're on a division one program with other good players and your goal is to be a PGA tour player. 
Right. And somewhere your freshman or your sophomore or your junior or your senior year, reality starts kicking in that this is really hard. This is really hard. And if you look back at PGA Tour players, I, I've had a good bit of time. I taught Graham McDowell as one of my students for years. Right. Graham, won, Graham won six times his last year in college. And so you have to, you know, it started, that makes sense, right? And if you right. go back and look at Mickelson or look at David Duvall or look at the players, Justin Leonard's, those guys won tremendous amounts of college tournaments. So then you right. kind of start, the reality starts kicking in. Hey, this, I might not make this, this PGA tour thing might be a little bit tough if I can't beat these guys in college, but you still want to live that dream and go for it or whatnot. But that reality I had, I was pretty good, you know, competitive top five player, my freshman and sophomore year, and then started fading a little bit, my junior, a little bit, my senior. And that dream was becoming a reality to me that that might not happen. So I, uh, I redshirted. So I graduated in four and a half years okay. and I still had another semester on the team where I was still, you know, competing to make events and stuff. And, um, I started working on my MBA and finished a semester of it and ended up going back when I was 40, which I don't recommend to anybody and <laughs> completed that when I was 40 oh, as a, good as for a you. golf pro. Yeah. But uh, yeah, kind of a mountain I had to, couldn't leave on. Oh, that's good. That's great. Yeah. So, but during that time, then I thought, you know, I was looking at jobs and with Lincoln Telephone and sitting with and debating about going to law school, maybe. And I kept looking at ties, wearing a tie and cubicles. And that was becoming more and more depressing to me because I just couldn't handle not being outside and I couldn't handle not being around golf. Right. So I moved to Orlando. My old friend, Fred Griffin, was director of instruction at Grand Cypress Resort. And in Orlando at those days, that was the kind of five diamond, five right. star, four diamond, I guess, place. It was before Orlando had really boomed. Now, there are there those are on every street corner in Orlando now. But in those days, we were really the kind of the hot shot resort. And I went down there and I said, Fred, I'll pick the range. I'll do anything, but I don't, I know I don't want to, I'm gonna, I'd like to play the mini tours a little bit. And I know I don't want to wear a tie or sit in a cubicle for the next 40 years, but I just, I don't really want to be a golf pro either. I just want to come down and not do whatever I was doing. And lo and behold, through that experience, making a long story short, I watched the head instructors there teaching golf every day and loving what they were doing and making yeah. impacts on people's lives. And they always came to work happy. They loved what they did. They were a great group. They mentored me so well, all this group of instructors that we're all very close to this day. And that's where I thought, now, wait a minute. And they're making this much money too. That's better than that cubicle was doing. I'm not going to make that ever in that cubicle. That's like three times that cubicle. So I thought, you know, if I started learning how to teach, I kind of like this. And that's what I did. And, and once again, there's many chapters to that, but making a long story short. So I started teaching at Grand Cypress and it was one of those places where there's a revolving door of guests and people coming in. So we would right. teach 15, 1700 lessons a year, wow. 1700 wow. lessons a year, just feet on the tee, learning, teaching, learning, teaching, playing the whole bit. So that's really, then there, there's kind of the next chapter that pointed me in the, in the direction of golf. Wow, that's cool. Um, and so you're there for about six years, and then I think you come. Uh, we get you back there. We get you to Alabama in the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail, which um, I'm a little familiar with. I think a lot of people might not be. So the the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail in Alabama is a series of courses, right? Um, and and you were sort of 
uh, director of instruction for the golf schools there, as I understand it. Yeah, correct. We had a software program called Model Golf or CompuSport at Grand Cypress, and they had an exclusivity contract that the only place in America it could be was at Grand Cypress. Well, eventually that became too restrictive. So that agreement was broken and we were going to develop golf schools around the country. And me and that group of instructors, Fred told us, hey, you guys are all going to get your chance to be the boss and run these golf schools, which and we're going to team up and do these across the country. And our site, our locations were going to be a resort in Palm Springs and a resort in Las Vegas and then the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail. And the group of us went to our local watering hole at TGI Fridays after that meeting. And all <laughs> we're now bear in mind, we're sitting in Orlando at a really posh place resort that we work at and we not knowing we thought well you know palm springs wow that sounds pretty good and las vegas that's fun but who's going to be the loser that takes that alabama job and <laughs> lo and behold that one came online first and fred said i think you need to go do this so the rest is history there so i moved up and a great guy who was president and ceo of the trail bobby vaughn and Kim Worrell took me under their wing. And yeah, I was director of instruction for, at the time, it was seven locations. It's now wow. up to nine locations and wow. like maybe 31 golf courses. Back then, we were, I think, seven locations and 28 golf courses. So people travel from all around the world, literally. It's yeah. incredible golf for a very reasonable rate. The, the hotel packages are great. And to this day, the trail is a, it's really a, it's returned billions of dollars to our state and tourism and people traveling around, but they're really, they truly are world-class golf courses. And the guys, it's the perfect place, especially in that slow, that part has slowed down a little bit these days, but it was the perfect place for the guys golf trip, you know, yeah, to yeah. go with eight, 12, 16 guys and go travel the trail. It was, we, we did a lot of that. Cool. Okay. So you're there and you're, you're teaching and then, um, roll the clock forward. Uh, we're, uh, I guess, around 2002, and you get the position, um, uh, which ultimately became the director of golf position that you currently have at the Country Club of Birmingham. So, um, uh, you know, I, I'm curious again, you know, for people who are listening who may be going down, want to go down the same path, wh what a club to get a job at. I mean, it's got two Donald Ross signature courses, large membership, you know, one of the great clubs, you know, in the South. Um, how did that position come to you? And what was it? Because you're still, if I'm doing my math right, um, what, 33? I mean, at a, a pretty young age. Um, so how did that position come to you? And what was that like? Yes. I was, while I was teaching over at the trail course, which is here in town, myself and my staff, we taught a lot of club members. A lot okay. of the members from here at the club came out and took lessons from us. And my wife, Kelly, and I had done about, you know, coming up on six years on the trail and traveling all around the trail in the van. And I can tell you every inch of I-65 <laughs> in this state because I'd been around it and done it. But we were expecting our first son, Ryan at the time and uh the director of instruction who was here during that time cody barden had left and ben freeman the director of golf helped with another kind of committee or group that said hey instead of us all these people going out and taking lessons from eric out of the trail we need eric here at the club so i came over and became i was hired as director of instruction here which i did for five years and it was time to kind of modify or re-up the junior program here. And and it's a very family-based country club. And uh, we probably just weren't hitting on all cylinders with the junior program. And that was 
always been my passion from my Grand Cypress days to my trail days to the, to these days. I was teaching kids. My feet were on the tee teaching juniors. So that's what I did. And then fast forward, I was director of instruction for almost six years. And then my predecessor, Ben Freeman, retired to move home to Louisiana and um, take care of his his mom. And uh, they said, you know, we we want to know if you'd like to be director of golf and we're not going to interview anybody else if you're interested. And they interviewed me and I was very fortunate to become their fifth golf pro since 1898 here, wow. here at the club and wow. follow Ben. And, and what's really neat is Ben has moved back from Lafayette, Louisiana now, and has retired back home to now to Birmingham, which would have been his second home, but he has grandchildren here and whatnot and is an honorary member of the club. So he comes out and plays and practices and is still a great ear to come into my office and sit and chat and I, you know, say, what do you think about this or that? And, whatnot. So we have a great relationship and that's kind of come full circle there, but yes, just honored and humbled to be the fifth golf professional at this wonderful club that they've had since 1898. So I, 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 back to those grand Cypress days, I love coming, walking across the parking lot every day. It's, it's a good place to come. That's fantastic. Um, and, uh, wow. I mean, I, I knew it was an old club. I didn't know it dated quite back that far. That's impressive. Um, so let's talk a little bit cause you've been there for a while and there's, um, maybe use, uh, your, um, your experience there to talk about a few items of, of more general interest. And I want to start with the junior program that you just alluded to because, um, again, just having read about the club a little bit in, in your time there, the, growth and success of the junior program just seems spectacular. Um, and um, I know you and I chatted a little bit offline that I think you just had 239 kids participate in the junior club championship, which is, is spectacular. Um, so I'd love to hear kind of what your secret sauce has been. Uh, I can tell that I know you have the passion. You've talked about that for instruction and junior instruction in particular. And that's certainly, you know, part of the recipe, I'm sure. But just kind of what have, how's it been so successful? There's lots of private clubs um, struggle sometimes with this, right? Because, you know, they have, you know, well, we're only going to let juniors play this time or, you, you know, and blah, you know, that kind of stuff. So, What's how have you been so successful um, uh, in building this junior program? So it you know fortunately myself and this club made junior golf one of our north stars. So there were forty or fifty kids in the program when I got here, and now we have probably well over four hundred kids if you count the wow. five and six year olds um, that we don't even have play in that club championship where we had. 239 last week. So in a kind of an unofficial straw poll, talking to my fellow professionals around the country, that just doesn't exist, right? Mm -hmm. That number, uh, you know, a junior club championship with 239 kids, there's a lot to pull that off yes. between a big staff that's donated are dedicated to golf, junior golf, and uh, more importantly, a membership that's dedicated to junior golf. And that's even been harder with COVID and the pressures on the tee sheet for people wanting tee sure. times and now kids are going to take the times and so long story short there we're we're fortunate to have 36 holes we have a west course that's a truly a championship course we've hosted three usga championships in the last decade and last nine years on it but our east course is equally as good but it's a little easier it's a par 70 and it suits 
terrifically to a junior program, ladies program, and senior golfers. So we play lots of rounds over there. Now we still have certain time frames where the kids can play that are kind of, you know, not the peak time, certainly. But so as I got that going, now we're we're 50 kids become 100 kids and then 100 kids become 150. And you can we have that picture of the wall of the junior club championship. We have it by each year and you can just see this. It just keeps getting wider and wider and wider. <laughs> we have this wide lens uh, to take the picture and about maybe 10 halfway into my career, about 10, 12 years ago. We have a bank president who's a really smart guy, and he's also the finance chairman of the club. And he said, Eric, I want to have a talk with you. And I said, yes, sir, Mr. Holcomb. And he brought me in and said, you keep growing the junior program. And if anybody gives you problems, you tell me. <laughs> and, he, and I said, yes, sir, I get it. But yes, sir. And he said, now, here's why. Is because I see the job you're doing with them. I see them becoming really better players but I also see that you're teaching them to tuck their shirt in and use library voices at the club. And we teach, you know, we, we go in our junior camps, we talk to them. Now you got to remember we're definitely in the South here and we teach them about opening the car door for their moms. That's part of our curriculum in the, in our junior program. So he said, but more importantly, I'm watching this. I'm seeing what's happening. 80% of these kids are going to want to, be members at the club and they're going to want to raise their children in this same program that they have just experienced and gone through. So you are perpetuating our membership by making this junior program. We're never going to look for members because we've already got, and they're the children of our current members. Right. Right. And, you know, I think a lot of people miss that, right? You hear about member retention and member acquisition and whatnot. Well, sometimes they're right under your nose and they're right under your nose in the junior program. So that's what I've done. And it's gone bonkers since. And um, we continue to go great. We have a, I have a special young man. That's my, we changed his title to director of player development and head coach. His name's Chris Biggins. He's been with me for 10 years now. And what makes Chris so special is he has cerebral palsy. And oh, wow. He, yeah. And he, uh, he just finished 11th in the first ever USGA adaptive open. Yeah, He's the honoree of the biggest fundraiser in town this coming Saturday night for the United Ability Center. And I used to give him the winners off to try to make the Paralympic ski team. And he can beat me in everything, basically. He can beat me in ping pong. He can outshoot me in, on a basketball court, tennis. It just makes me so mad, I can't tell you. <laughs> the only thing he doesn't do well is he doesn't walk real well. He has a kind of a gated walk because he's afflicted in his knees and, and hips and the lower back. But he helps me run this junior program now and the stuff we do between Chris and I for these kids, we've made it a junior golf team where they all carry the same golf bag and it says their name and year on it. So when we show up at all these tournaments around the Southeast, now it's kind of like, uh oh, there's that group of white golf bags from the <laughs> country club of Birmingham and here they come. So, so we come in like an army. And um, so that's Chris has been a big part of the last say, the last half of this is he and I have really taken, taken it to the next level. That's fantastic. Um, let talk to me a little bit about the teaching aspect of, of the junior program, even more generally too. But I mean, like if I'm a junior or my 
son or daughter is a junior at, 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 at the Country Club of Birmingham. Is it a summer program? Is there clinics? Is there lessons? You know, how does that all kind of work? I'm just curious. Yeah, so we follow, there's a, definitely a method to our madness and a scientific approach behind all of it. We follow sure. the American development model where there's ages for stages and, you know, in going from the fundamentals, which fun is a huge part of it, and, and we take them through then at 12 years old and then we want them to keep playing all the other sports up until this age. And then we have that talk with the parents. Okay. Now we're at that 12, 13, 14 age. Are they going to be on the high school basketball team or is it now our baseball team? Or is it now time to get a little more focused on the golf? And then at that part, then they move a little bit more from the camps and clinics into private instruction with me. And, and then we start taking them on and that's where, we just sent Tom Fisher away last week. He'll be our seventh player to be on a division one program currently on a wow. division one golf program. So um, yeah, so that's how we grow it. There's definitely a, a science behind it. We're not just winging it, but we try to make it fun and have the masses and knowing that it's automatically going to, you know, we'll lose some kids. They'll filter out as we go, but we try our best to not let them filter out. And what we're going to end up with is, I do feel like my legacy is going to be far more felt here in 20, 30, 40, and 50 years when those kids are all single digit handicaps. They love the game, the, the men's club championship, which was a dying tournament like most are at country clubs. It's coming up this weekend and all that junior program that are now members in their twenties and early thirties are, are we've got over a hundred players in it. And it's, a, wow. it's, it's those juniors coming out to, to play in the club championship now. So those are the things that perpetuate when you get really serious about junior golf and, you know, so many country clubs, I get it. It's only 18 holes. It's, there's a pressure on tee times. I understand why it doesn't happen, but boy, I, I just am going to beat that drum forever is if you want to make an impact, have a good junior program and also have a, an impact on families that relate those relationships I have raising these children, almost like their second, parents yeah I, I i was gonna just say that's part of what stri strikes me about it but having read about it and listening to you chat about it um i mean there's skills beyond just the golf course and golf that you're teaching these kids right i mean it's it's um which is fantastic i think yeah it's great and and i'm you know i go fishing with these kids and stuff like that you know what i'm saying is yeah we, we go bowling we go we go to movies together and then i and when i say kids some are kids in the program and then I'll go fishing with young men that are 33 years old now and we go on fit, you know, go fishing together. And it's just, uh, once again, there's a special bond that comes with a well-run junior program that I think it's going to leave a, a, a bit of a legacy. Absolutely. I mean, talk about growing the game. That's just fantastic. Um, that's growing the game. Um, let's talk a little bit about teaching more generally. I mean, it's, I mean, you obviously are a gifted teacher. You've, one, you know, the uh, Alabama Northwest Florida section teacher of the year award several times, um, I, you know, and you, you touched on, you know, starting teaching at Grand Cypress. I mean, how do you talk to me about that in terms of, you know, how do you with all the responsibilities you have sort of keep up on, you know, teaching stuff. I'm sure you participate in PJ seminars and stuff, but you know um, how do you, how does that part of your uh, career stay fresh and, and kind of what, you know, what do you, uh, what's kind of your teaching philosophy and, and kind of how you keep 
you know, students interested. And and I just would be curious because obviously, as I said, you're a super gifted teacher. I'm just curious kind of how you've developed that part of your portfolio. Well, I appreciate that. You know, let's keep it a secret here on this podcast and our listeners, but I'm not that great at the golf operation stuff, at the inventory <laughs> and the merchandise. And I can run a great tournament, but I'm not that great at all that other stuff. But I hire great people and great assistant pros that are good at that stuff. And because my root is a teacher and a coach and that started at Grand Cypress. It's all I've ever known. And that's all I did at the trail. And now I balance in. I have the part I love about being director of golf is I love running this team. This staff of mine is a work family and we all divvy up the responsibilities and I give them a lot of responsibilities and we have a great time working. But that said, Yes, I'll be on the tee from when you and I are done with this podcast today, I'll be on the tee from 11 to 12 and grab a quick lunch and then go back on the tee from probably one to six o'clock tonight. And that's wow. what I do. A lot of my days look like that. And I just I've been known as I've been called the outdoor professional, or I like to say I don't like air conditioning golf <laughs> pros. Is I feel like golf is an outdoor game and we need to be outside. And yeah. I stress that with my staff, even our best merchandise, our guy in charge of merchandise is still teaching four to six lessons a week. Wow. So, so once again, I've held true to my beliefs that people take lessons from somebody they like. Yeah. You're not going to go take lessons from some some jerk, right? So sure. they like to hang out with their golf instructor. They get better, but there's also a great relationship, no different than you have with Grady out there. Yeah, um, yeah. So same, same, same here. So I've just made golf instruction a center point for what we do or what I, what I do or how I go about it. And fortunately, over the years, if you look at some of the really good jobs across the country, they've hired a teacher player as the director of golf or head pro, sometimes more over the operator or the, you know, the great merchandiser or whatnot, because I just think the impact is more great. If you can give a person a good golf lesson and they hit a bunker shot, now they can get it out of the bunker every time, or they three putt less, or now they you've gotten them 20 yards on a tee ball. That's impactful. So, yeah. so we, we believe that's, how we go about it. And, you know, then as far as the teaching philosophy goes, I got asked that a lot when I got that neat honor in 2019 is yes. as a teacher and what's your teaching philosophy. And as I kept batting that question around, I came down to a little bit of a different approach. And I said, here's my philosophy. My students hold trophies. <laughs> I so love it. I, I humbly say that but I'm, <laughs> I'm not a methodology instructor I'm you know definitely more of the Butch Harmon days where yeah. you want everybody being taught differently because they're different people and they bring different assets to their game they have strengths and weaknesses but I've been I've 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 put in the numbers I've done the thousands of heart surgeries or however you want to say it so I yeah. have built my philosophies of what I like to see in a body pivot or a swing path or a swing plane or a club face. But mostly my philosophy is you have to understand the student and tailor your golf instruction to things that make them better and build on their strengths and minimize, you know, make, make their bad misses a little less bad and teach them how to enjoy the game. And, and in doing so, then that next level is, raising truly competitive players and we do right. that. I, I do that my son is a division one he's one of those seven and plays for auburn and yeah. was the number one ranked 
junior in the Southeast for many years and all that. So, um, so there's, once again, there's, we're not winging it. There's a method to our madness, but it starts at a young age, teaching them those fundamentals. But as a philosophy goes, I build on what they do well. That's, that's awesome. I mean, and, and makes all the sense in the world. And and I know Brady has a lot of the same philosophy. We, we've talked about teaching over the years, um, but that's fantastic. Yeah, I've been um, fortunate to do some PGA seminars with Brady and it's, it's uh, he's got an incredible approach and way he teaches and gets the most out of his students too. So I'm a huge fan of Brady. Oh, no, it's great to hear, you know, you and me both. Um, so you mentioned Graham McDowell. I, I, we got, I gotta, I can't um, talk about this without talking a little bit about some of your uh, talking with you a little bit about some of your notable students. And um, uh, you know, I'm sort of, um, I met my wife at law school at Stanford. Um, our kids have gone there. Um, and um, I, I'm a real, um, uh, even though I grew, I grew up in the Northeast, I'm not uh, a native Californian by any stretch, but I, I, we've been out here a long time and I, and I love Stanford. And so when I saw that um, Condoleezza Rice, who I know is from Birmingham, I've heard her, I've never met her in person, but I've heard her speak at Stanford events multiple times. And I know of her childhood growing up in Birmingham. And so when I saw that, um, she's one of your students. I thought, boy, that was cool. Um, so maybe just talk a little bit, because it sounds like not only a student, but apropos actually of what you've been saying generally about teaching, you clearly have developed quite a longstanding relationship with her. I guess it's been probably what, you know, 10 plus years maybe um, since you first uh, ran across her. Um, but what that what has that been like, um, teaching someone like Condi Rice? Indescribable. <laughs> I mean, it's just indescribable, the friendship she and I have developed. And once again, there's the magic of golf, right, is, hey, all of a sudden she had taken she and her cousin and two friends and her aunt and another friend a decade plus ago went to the Masters and they right. got and when a VIP shows up at the Masters, they have a member tour them around. Okay. Well, one of the members is a member here at our club named Jim Gorey, and he gave them, they knew they were from, he was from Birmingham. So he spent the day touring those four wonderful ladies around during the masters. And during those conversations, she said, you know, I spend Christmases in Birmingham at my aunt G's and, you know, I'd like to get some golf lessons while I'm in town. Who should I go see? And he recommended that he sees, she sees me for instruction. And so she came into town and we played around a golf. This was in the fall before she got to here at Christmas. And we played with Jim and his dad and Condi and just had a magical deal. And I just was, you know, certainly I was a little intimidated by the whole thing. I just, <laughs> I'm not going to lie about that. And the joke in that match was we were getting drummed. Jim and I were getting drummed by her and her dad because we'd given them way too many shots. So <laughs> we're like, you know, four down after five holes. And Jim says, go up and, and, go get this bet right, renegotiate this bet. And I said, are you nuts? I, I'm not going to go renegotiate this bet with the person who led the free world. <laughs> Brokered peace deals, right? So right, right, right. took our lickings and let them beat the heck out of us. But then on the 12th hole is a short par four here. I, I said, you know, hey, Condi, let's, you know, if you want, she said, what am I doing wrong? And I tightened up her lower body a little bit and changed how her weight shifted and her pivot points. And then we got to 13, which is a neat par three with a big lake on the, our right side. And to this day, I don't know how that ball didn't go in the hole. It ended up two inches. She had a wow. shot on this par three. It ended up two inches. 
dead behind the cup. The ball mark was right in front of the hole. And she almost had her first hole in one. But if kind of the shot heard around the world for me was, I think, you know, she said, holy, wait a minute. Now that worked because I almost made a hole in one, a, a hole later. And it's been just magical since. It's just been awesome. a, a wonderful ride. We are dear friends. We text out of the blue. We just text one another. And it's still, I still kind of pinch myself, you know, seeing a text come in from Condi. But we're texting about, you know, Trey Mullinax on Monday, on my day off, because right. she's become a mutual friend there. So, yeah, and when she's in town, we'll go and we'll go to the local pizza place. We'll play nine holes late in the afternoon at our place or at Shoal Creek and then go, you know, we call it long shadow golf. So we let the shadows get long. And then my <laughs> fam, Kelly, my wife, will bring our sons and we'll meet her at the pizza place and eat pizza and drink beer and talk sports all night, sitting awesome. there with the former secretary of state, right? So how does that, that you got to pinch yourself, but that it's really a compliment to her that, I've just never met anybody in this world that has reached such elevations that still loves to do the most basic things with the most basic people. And that's yeah. us. It's just, yeah. We're just a, raising a family in Birmingham, Alabama, but we spend a lot of time together and I cherish our time with her. She's just magnificent. She's as real as everybody sees. Yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. And that is exactly um, the impression you get. And I know, what a sports fan she is, especially football and stuff. And, um, uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. And, you know, you mentioned Graham McDowell. You've had, this is, you know, it, it, you've, I sounds like you've run across, I mean, in addition to all the teaching you do with the juniors and members and you meet someone like Condi Rice. Um, you've had some experience. It sounds like teaching some, some PGA pros as well. And that's kind of be, got to be kind of interesting. That's a whole different kettle of fish, right? Yeah, it really is. And and Graham really was my first kind of big guy to make it big time like that. And Coach Kaufman back in the day brought him out and he says, I got this freshman from Ireland that's mad as heck. He was into about his third or fourth tournament here in the States and he couldn't hold a green. I mean, he could not hold a green for the life of him. And he was shooting high scores in these first college tournaments and said, I want you to take a look. Well, here comes old Graham with a cool, cool accent and a kind yeah. of a cool swagger about him. And I said, well, let me watch you hit some. And he heard the term Harley Davidson golf grip. Well, he had yes, a yes. Harley <laughs> Davidson golf grip. He was a three knuckler bordering on a four knuckle. And, you know, he'd play his, his irons off his back toe and his driver was barely in front of it. And I said, partner, wow. now listen, we've got to weaken this grip and we've got to move this ball way more forward than you've ever done because then that's why you're that's why you're mad that's why your ball comes out just too low i'll never forget i weakened that grip and moved that ball up to his left heel and he looked right up at me and said you've never been to northern ireland have you <laughs> <laughs> product of our environment right yes absolutely uh, he knew how to keep it under the wind and roll it up on the greens but that wasn't working in the state so we had this long, wonderful relationship then all through college and then his first probably three or four years as a professional and, and we were bouncing around. But that was my first go with a, a guy that I made it, got him to the tour. And and I say that humbly. I was a I was a piece that got him. God got him to the tour because um, <laughs> he was such a gifted player. But we did do a lot of things. We got his ball flight up higher. His strike was better. He quit hitting these low hooks. He learned how to fade the ball. He learned his bunker game improved tremendously. Oh, I'm sure. 
yeah. show some loft to the to the ball and to, and the and how to use the bounce instead of always being a digger. And then it just that kind of started where all these college players, the college coaches trust me, and they started bringing their college players to me. And then you know led I raised Smiley Kaufman, I read raised Pat and Kazire, um, and numerous others that haven't quite made it that far. My my latest just got his card this week. It's Sunday. Oh, in, wonderful! In Omaha, Davis Thompson, who was a you know couple time first team All American at Georgia. I've taught him since he was twelve years old. Wow! So um so you know I've been able to bring some of those co- great college players up and get them maybe all the way there, and it's been terrific. It's been terrific, and probably one of my all time favorites to work with is another Irishman and Paul Dunn. And yeah, you know Paul, I was certainly teaching him still do when he was the low amateur through three rounds at the British open at St. Andrews. Right. You know, I and remember. He, he, yeah. He was right out of college and they were asking him what, you know, how would it be to be the first amateur to win the British and British open since Bobby Jones. And right. he was <laughs> like, you know, he was like six weeks out of school and it was the air got thin <laughs> real thin. Yeah. He wasn't ready. We, none of us were ready for those questions, but yeah. he's one of my all time favorites and spending time with him. And, and what I've learned from those guys, I've learned more from them. Than they have me in a lot of ways too, is that the, the Irish and Welsh and Scottish players I've taught, they have a fresher approach to the game there. They don't, bad breaks don't affect them. If, if anything, they expect a bad break. Right. That ball bounces weird in their country. And it's just no big deal. They take pride in, Hey, I got a terrible break and made par off of it. Or right. they'll look right. at a really, really tough shot and almost laugh like this is impossible. Now this would be really cool if I pulled it off though. You know, so I've learned Absolutely. That yeah. one single shot along the way is never the end make or break all in golf. And And I've learned a lot of that from teaching those players from the United Kingdom is, is their approach to the game is really special. That's a great point, really, because, you know, in the U.S., everyone's so into, you know, we need these perfect conditions and everything like that. And um, I've had the good fortune to play a little bit over there. And you're totally right. And we could see it when we watch things like the Open at St. Andrews. I mean, the ball just bounces and, you know, sometimes it's, it's a totally different game. And, but that's it, it, interesting. I can totally see how it creates sort of a different mindset and, and a better mindset in terms of accepting, you know, because uh, not everything's going to be perfect. You're on a playing field of, you know, a hundred plus acres with all sorts of stuff and things don't always roll perfectly. That that's yeah, fantastic. The, the wind blows and the conditions. Yeah, are one of my early, one of my early Welsh students named Chris Cousins, who I'm still friends with to this day, who's a nice businessman back in Wales, but he one time shot 50, 30. <laughs> wow. 50, 30. So he shot 80, shot 50, 30. So that back, you know, going wow. out was into the wind and coming in was yeah. downwind and we, I'll never forget it. And, and, That's you know, they fantastic. Look at, they'll, they'll, they'll go to a golf course and say, Hey, you know, par today on this course is 77. So, you know, and that those are the types of things I've tried to learn from them and teach and impress upon the my son and students, other students that I teach is that, you know, let's take a little bit of that approach. It's not laissez faire, but they they are more a little bit more that way that, hey, it's, golf is golf and sometimes get good breaks, sometimes get bad. But we certainly don't need to have a perfect lie every time. And it, it's it's designed to be played out in the field. Right. Exactly. And that's a great attitude to have. I love it. Um, That's fantastic. Let me um, maybe turn to sort of um, uh, a topic. And I know it's a large topic, um, but um, I'm really interested in your 
thoughts on this. Um, you know, I we should let I should let listeners know. I mean, you you've, you've been active in the PGA section over the years, um, which is the Alabama Northwest Florida PGA section. You're past president, I believe, of it, and um, so and and obviously, as people can get the sense from from hearing this, I mean, you you interact a lot with your colleagues all across the country. You won the 2019 PGA of the year award, uh, which is, you know, um, you know, kind of your green jacket, uh, of, of club professionals. I think it's fair to say, or, um, and so you, you, you know, the game from a club professional standpoint, I think really well been at a, you know, one of the great clubs, you know, for 20 years, um, your staff, I'm sure you, you know, mentored a lot of people. I'd love to get your thoughts on kind of how you view the profession today. And I sort of say this against the backdrop of this um, uh, article that got a lot of play recently in Golf Digest talking about the profession and the club professional profession. And it was kind of a, I mean, to put it mildly, a downer article um, about it. And um, uh, it's kind of made me think a little more to what's going on in the profession today and and sort of I'd love to hear kind of, I guess, a couple of things, your view of the profession today and kind of, you know, and I'm like any job, there are things that are going to be challenging, there are things that are going to be more enjoyable, but kind of how you see the profession today and, and maybe off of that kind of what advice you would give someone who's a young, young professional, you know, wanting to make that a career today. Yeah, that's for the dark and scathing article and i can just dispute a lot of it i really can and and a knock that could be sent to me is well there's that guy that's at that country club that's so nice and has a wait list of five to seven years and he doesn't know what it's like well i do i actually do i grew up at antelope hills municipal course i stay very close with my friends at other municipal courses to others that are at the highest ranked country clubs in the world. So I've kept my ear to the ground to our profession. And I have a feel and an empathy for the clubs that are struggling a little bit or the, you know, and, and that have a harder time or the kids that work long, long hours. So I, I know it's in there. Correct. That said, there is absolutely no ceiling to how well a young man or lady coming into the golf business can do these days. There's we have a shortage of golf professionals and we need them to come to our business. If you played on a college golf team, you should just come to our business because it's the golf is the thing that they have done the best at. Yeah. So why not keep that going into their career and get to do something that they are the best at in their career? Right. So if you put a little if you invest in becoming a good teacher or becoming a good merchandiser or whatnot. The sky's the limit for, I have, I we're up to three ladies on our golf staff now Wow! Um, that have come, all three of them have come off college golf teams. They're killing it. They are just crushing it and they're making more money than they could ever make in an equivalent age level business job. Right. right, right. So the, the things I've been very lucky, very fortunate to do, I've played the world's greatest courses with some of the world's greatest people from sports stars to celebrities to secretaries of state and Condi um, <laughs> because of golf, right? Just because of the magic of golf. Now that said, do I work weekends? Yeah, we work weekends and we have some Sundays and Mondays off during the busy season, but virtually nowhere 
I don't know, maybe San Diego, maybe Los Angeles never has an off season, <laughs> that beautiful weather that we're all envious of that you have out there, but pretty much everywhere in golf, there's an off season. And yeah. it, I look at it as no different than some of my roots back to Nebraska, but there's a harvest season. And yeah. during the harvest season, farmers work really hard. And then during the off season, they get rewarded for their hard work and they get a little time off. And that's how golf is. There's a golf season almost everywhere where you play and you work long, hard hours because that's the what we're paid to do is to provide a service. That's this wonderful game of golf. But then in the off months, we get paid back. I get lots of weekends off in the off months and golf pros like myself are we're not naive. We're not dumb to. We need to provide balance to these young people. They don't want to work as many weekends and whatnot. So we give them off. And so that it, it's not, it's just not like the old days of chain them to a counter for 70 hours a week is right. you should, you should dive into this game. And, and cause the rewards and the dividends that get paid back to you are just endless. And, and that's what we need to get out and, and tell that story more us PGA professionals need to get out to these golf tournaments, to these high school tournaments, to these junior high tournaments and say hey look what i do you might like this and that and that's what we're as an association that's what we're really trying hard to do and get that message across because the article that was written is just that's just one angle one side and it was the negative dark side there's so many good things in our profession that most people with the any tenure at all will say this has been an unbelievable ride i've been on and so if we could get more young people in, I think if they could make it through it, listen, it's hard at the law firm, the first three to five yes, years, it sure right? Is. Yeah, it's absolutely. hard at the bank the first absolutely. three to five years, but you just don't give it up. But, you know, in, in golf, if you get through those first three to five years where it's a little tougher and you become more proficient at your skill, the sky's the limit. So that's, that's the story I'm trying to tell people and young folks is that golf is great. Look at my office. It's this beautiful, you know, driving range or beautiful outdoor golf course. It's not that, it's not that cute. It's not that darn cubicle that I keep going back to. <laughs> yeah, no, it, that, that is for sure. That is so well said. All of that is so well said. I, I completely agree. Um, I'll, I'll get you out of here on this. I, 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 I'm with all the different you know, responsibilities you have, um, you know, and, and, and running the operations, it's such a, a big club and the teaching, which I love that you're so often on the, on the T on the lesson T. I love that. Um, all the teaching, everything like that. You still able to play? Um, are you able to sort of keep your game in shape? I, I know I'm sure there's section events and stuff, but, um, uh, you have any time for that part of life? It, it suffered. I'm not going to lie. It suffered. I have kind of invested, my time into others and gotten a lot of my rewards through others. So I'm not going to lie this darn game that we all face uh, a week ago, Sunday, a, a member and his son took me and my son to peach tree in Atlanta. Oh yeah. And just an unbelievable golf course. I saw my PGA friend, Don Perno and yeah. I made four birdies that day and should have wow. made five and shot 74. And I was like, I still got it. I'm back. And then I came home and played our East course a week later this past Sunday with a big group of our members. And I played like an absolute dog. So, <laughs> so <laughs> that Sunday before is what I live off of that. I still got it in there. I just have to do it a little more often, but yeah, I, I, I haven't lost my love for the game. We still take family vacations and play golf on, on our family vacations. So yeah, I still try to play. You mentioned band and dunes earlier. Yeah. Yeah. We've done numerous father son trips to band oh, awesome. and dunes and, and the Ireland and Scotland trips and all those things is, um, 
yeah, you know, it's important that we keep our games. We don't have to go shoot 65, but we need to keep it where it's respectable and, and playing good. So I wish I had more time to put towards that, but someday I will. That's awesome. Um, I love that you played Petrie. It's funny. I had Walt Driver on, yeah. um, you know, a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago and um, we're talking about someone who's kept their game. I mean, you know, we were talking, I mean, he won the club championship there when he was 68 years old, um, which is just, I mean, he's a little older than that now, but of course, you know, it's, but uh, it, it, it's just amazing. And I know that's a fantastic club, but it's great that you had a chance to go. There. Oh, it's awesome. It's one of my favorite. I've been fortunate to play it a few times, but if you, if you were blindfolded and dropped in in a helicopter and you pulled the blindfold off, you would swear you, your first thing is they dropped me off in Augusta National. Augusta National, everyone a, says a, that, it's, right. It's the closest thing I've ever seen. And, you know, Bobby Jones and the Coca-Cola Huffs, I believe, are the yeah. ones that said, hey, well, we can we can make it a lot like that one over a couple hours east of here. Exactly, so, exactly. So, now, that's yeah, awesome. it's a special place. So, yeah, and I played well there that day, so that was fun. And and so I, I cherish the good rounds. I cherish the good holes and, and, and cherish the good shots. So, that's kind of what my games become these days. Well, that's like all of us. I mean, that's, that's what keeps us coming back. That great shot or that great round or making four birdies, you know, at a, at a course as challenging as Peachtree. Um, that's great. Um, hey, Eric, let me, um, let me thank you so much for um, spending the time today with us. Um, this has been fantastic. Um, I um, uh, really appreciate it. It's been great talking with you and, and thank you so much. This has really been fun. Well, I appreciate you reaching out and Larry, the golf guy, you're a class act. So thank you. You, uh, <laughs> you run a, you, you can tell your passion for this game and the people in it. So th I'm thanking you right back. So thank you very much for having me on. My pleasure.